You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. That's how you start to reframe guilt and start to set boundaries. It starts with you setting a firm line for yourself that you deserve a permission to be unavailable, that your time is not sand. Your time is diamonds. You only get 24 hours in a day and you get just as much time choice over how you use that time than your partner. That is a true boundary. That is not just a walk around the block. That takes internal work on yourself. Her Money is supported by Fidelity Investments. Whether you're celebrating a milestone or adjusting to the unexpected, Fidelity is there to help you navigate life's important moments with confidence. Visit fidelity.com slash hermoney to learn more. Hey everyone, I'm Jean Chatsky. Thank you so much for joining me today on Her Money. I mean, really, I I know how busy you are, especially right now with your work schedules and remote school and your household to maintain. Just an FYI, like I did not make the bed this morning. I can't remember how many years it has been since I did not make the bed. And it's one of those things that would normally stress me out, but I just gave up today. And and I think that's the same thing that so many of you are facing. We are all fighting our own battles these days. And we hear every day from all of you just how tough it is, but it is particularly tough for women. Between August and September, 1.1 million workers dropped out of the labor force. 865,000 of them were women, according to a study from the National Women's Law Center. And and another study by Care International found that 55% of income have lost income during COVID-19 compared to just 34% of men. But You don't need these statistics. You could just stop any woman on the street wearing your mask, I hope, and she will probably tell you that she is shouldering more responsibility, more of the invisible mental load than ever before. She will probably tell you that she is exhausted. So what do we do about this? Well, today's guest has some ideas, some real genuine, concrete solutions. She had them well before COVID hit. Her New York Times bestselling book, Fair Play, a game-changing solution when you have too much to do and more life to live, has actually been on the shelves for a year now, but I cannot think of the time when we've needed her guidance more than we do right now. Um, Eve Rodsky is with me. She is she's a fantastic bio. She's a Harvard Law graduate, founder of the Philanthropy Advisory Group, and has spent more than a decade helping to create life management systems that help couples rebalance all the work it takes to run a home and reimagine their relationship, their time, and their purpose. Hey, Eve, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. So great to be with you, Jean. Thank you for having me. Of course. So I think it is so impressive that you did this work before the pandemic. Like you literally had some sort of a crystal ball. Where'd the idea come from? 
I had my own crystal ball eight years ago. And I think what we can realize about this time is that it's shining a light on the invisible work, right? The uh, invisible is now literally visible on Zoom. We're all that BBC dad with the child that bursts in. But um, this is not a new problem. This idea that uh, women shoulder two-thirds or more of what it takes to run a home and family um, is not a new statistic. Yes, we have picked up 153% increase in unpaid labor during the pandemic, um, but this is not a new problem. And actually, uh, a lot of people call research me-search. And so I'll tell you about the day that changed my life, because I, I want to just say for people who are struggling right now, um, I was struggling. And Sometimes out of struggle comes opportunity. So I'll just say that, you know, you can look back on these really hard days of your life and say, what was I learning about myself then? Um, Because I truly, my whole life, I've always believed struggle equals growth. As they say, right? I guess the cliche is, right? What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. But eight years ago, my second son, Ben, had just been born. Uh, I had an older son, Zach, and um, I was driving in my car uh, with Zach. I just dropped off Zach at his toddler transition program. And I get a text from my husband, Seth. I write about this in Fair Play. And the text said, I'm surprised you didn't get blueberries. I'm surprised you didn't get blueberries. And so, Jean, you can picture the scene, though. Um, it was a lot like what feels like today, where the space and time continuum is sort of collapsing on all of us. I don't know what day it is. I'm very confused about what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, I had a breast pump and a diaper bag in the passenger seat of my car. I had gifts for a newborn baby to return in the back seat of my car. I had a client contract um, in my lap because I had opted out of the traditional workforce. And I, I, I want to say that in quotes because um, language matters. And now I say we, we are forced out of that workforce. Um, but at the time, I was blaming myself. I literally was uh, at a pen between my legs. Every time I would hit the brakes at a stoplight on the way to pick up Zach from that program that I just dropped him off at, because those programs last like seven minutes, um, a pen would sort of stab me in the vagina as I was, because I was literally marking up the contract analog. And this chaos, this craziness was happening. And I was texting and driving as well. And I get the text. I see the text from Seth. I'm surprised you didn't get blueberries. And so um, I'm from New York, Jean, but I, I live in L.A. now. And if you know L.A., like we don't take traffic lightly. So for me to pull over on the way to pick up Zach means that something was really wrong. And um, I just sat there. I sat there crying in my car, feeling such shame and cliche that I felt like my marriage was ending over being the, a fulfiller of my husband's smoothie needs. Um when I thought, you know, if my marriage is going to end, it should be over something way more dramatic, like a fight in the Caribbean or some affair with an NFL player or something. But what I was really thinking was, again, a blaming message of myself, which was I used to be able to manage employee teams, and now I can't even manage a grocery list. And I think more importantly, I was thinking to myself, wow, this is not the career co marriage combo I thought I was going to have. And why I think that's important is because I actually have two main privileges for why this shouldn't have happened to me. One, I'm a product of a single mother. And so when I was a parental child, as the psychologist would call me, you know, I was her partner. I would help her with eviction notices, late utility bills. I put my brother to bed when she worked late at night. 
Um, so I vowed I would have an equal partner in life. I did not want to repeat what I saw. And then on top of that, I'm a Harvard trained mediator. I'm literally trained to use my voice. That's what I do for a living. And so I figured that day, if this was happening to me, it was probably happening to other women. And I became curious, started reading every article and book on the subject. You know, you said the blueberries and I just felt it. I felt it in my gut because I've been there so many times and we do exactly what you said we do. We blame ourselves. I mean, I, I flashed back on this awful time when my, my son was a baby. I had had this weird toxoplasmosis diagnosis when I was pregnant with him, but the, the end result without telling this story way too long was that I had to go every week and get his blood tested when he was a baby. And, and I just remember having this conversation with the doctor who was like my friend by that point. And she said, what'd you have? We went at seven o'clock at night. She would just make time for us. She said, what'd you have for dinner? And I think I said, a pop tart. Like, you know, like we just, it's overwhelming. It's overwhelming because we do so much. And when we don't do what we think is enough, let alone what they think is enough, we just beat ourselves up. Absolutely. So you, I think that was the point that inspired you to make your shit I do list, to count up <laughs> all the unpaid labor that you were doing and to send it to your husband and ask for a change. Tell me, tell me what you learned by making that list. Well, I learned that lists alone don't work. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about that, but I will tell you the origin of that shit I do spreadsheet. What happened was after the blueberries day, I started to become more aware of what was happening to me. You need consciousness raising. So thank you again, Jean, for letting me be here because we're basically uh, dumping eight years of consciousness raising on all of your listeners um, in half an hour. But right after that blueberries day, I happened to go on a breast cancer march and I was in all pink, sort of like I am in today. Um, I was with nine women that remind me of you, um, just powerhouse women. Um, and we were having this real true girlfriend's getaway type morning. Obviously this was when we could march, um, you know, pre COVID safely. Um, and it was a great morning. It was a Saturday morning. I remember it again, distinctly. We had our signs, courage, strength, and power, not just a female problem. And then something crazy happened at noon. I call it like sort of the Cinderella moment. All of a sudden noon came and all of our phones started blowing up with things uh, like my friend, um, my friend's husband, she's a award-winning filmmaker. Um, where did you put Hudson's soccer bag? Okay. And then my other friend who's a stroke and trauma doctor at Cedar sinai what's the address of the birthday party? Um, you didn't leave me a gift and we're going to be late. Then the next text was from my friend Kate's husband. She's a CEO of a nonprofit. And this was my favorite one, Jean. Do the kids need to eat lunch? <laughs> and so I think what was fascinating that day was Everyone looked at me and said, you know what, Eve, thank you so much for making that dim sum reservation, but we're going to leave. And they left me there to go find Hudson's soccer bag and to take their children to a birthday party with a perfectly wrapped gift and um, to feed their child lunch. And I think um, 
that was the day where I started to resist. <laughs> I, I wear it on my ring. This is my resist ring. Um, but I started to resist that day. And my act of resistance that day was to count up before they all disbanded how many uh, emails and phone calls we had received. And it was 30 phone calls and 46 texts for 10 women over 30 minutes. And that's the day where I said, okay, this is enough. And so when I started to research what was happening to us, that this wasn't just a me problem, I came across a couple of terms, like you mentioned before, Jean. Um, I came across the term mental load. I came across the term second shift. I came across the term emotional labor. But my favorite was a 1986 article from a woman named Arlene Kaplan-Daniels. And when I say 1986, I say that on purpose to show you how much has not changed. And she argued that women do more of the work at home because it's invisible. And then it's not valued, so it becomes more invisible. But what I loved about the term invisible work was that, Jean, there's like a modicum of solution in there, right? All you have to do is make the invisible visible, right? And then it's it's not invisible work anymore. So like, like a good lawyer, um, I took out my Excel spreadsheet and um, I named the spreadsheet, the shit I do spreadsheet, and I started to populate it. And it was really easy, right? With It was things like making school lunches and uh, taking my kids to the dentist appointments, glitches in the matrix, like what you were talking about with having a a special need for your child um, when you had to, to go to the doctor week after week. I just kept on populating it. And then I sent it to all those women that were at the breast cancer march with me. And I said, do you remember that day? Uh, tell me what you were, what you went home to do. And so then I got more people populating the spreadsheet. And then it started to go viral amongst communities of women where I would have women say to me, um, hey, I got your spreadsheet. Uh, I see all the tabs here, but where's Elf on the Shelf? And then I'd have to say, well, it's under the Magical Beings tab. You didn't look close enough. It's, you know, it's scroll down to item number 11. It's under Santa and above Lucky Leprechaun, you know, things like that. It was really very granular, but it was a really cathartic exercise. It took nine months. And as you mentioned, I decided to send it off to Seth one day. I was so excited. Email him the 19 million megabyte spreadsheet uh, with just the subject line, can't wait to discuss. And as you can imagine, I did not get the response that I thought my beautiful nine months worth of work merited. I got a monkey emoji that was covering its eyes. Not even the courtesy of the three monkeys, just that sad monkey that's covering its eyes. And that was the day where I realized that um, lists alone don't work. And I had a choice. I had a choice to leave my marriage you know, sort of eat, pray, love it and and start over and maybe in Bali. Um, but I didn't want to do that. So my other choice was to resign myself to doing it all and lose myself in the process or get sick, physically sick. Or the third path was what I decided to go down. And that was, you know what? I do this for a living. I actually create complex systems for families that look like the HBO show Succession. And you should feel bad for me because those families are really difficult. But I thought, what if I became my own client? What if I started to treat my home as my most important organization? Since I'm an organizational management specialist, what would the home look like if my home was my most important organization? 
And that's what led me on the journey to fair play. That's phenomenal. And and I want to get tactical because I think right now we need to help women get really, really tactical about what we're going to do, what we're not going to do, how to get our partners to come to the table and come along for the ride. Because I think it's more important now than it has ever, ever been. But before we go there, let me just remind everyone that Her Money is proudly sponsored by Fidelity Investments. Some of life's important moments are planned for way in advance, while others, like say, a pandemic we do not see coming. As always, Fidelity is here to help you navigate both the joyous and the unexpected events with confidence. Their resources, guides, tools can help guide you through important financial decisions when you need it most. And you can visit fidelity.com slash her money to learn more. I'm talking with Eve Rodsky. She's the author of Fair Play, a game-changing solution when you have too much to do and more life to live. And she's got a new card deck by the same name. All right. You want to start with your four rules? I mean, when you look in your bag of tricks, what are the things that are helping women most right now? So yeah, I think I think we should start with the four rules. Uh, we can just jump into some practical ways that we should be thinking about the invisible work of our home, especially during a pandemic. And I will say that, as you said, Jean, it is untenable. I just got this message from a woman who said, can someone please explain how to homeschool the kids, take care of all the meals, and also work full time from home without admin support and still be productive and responsive? I think that's the $60 million question or whatever that game show was called. <laughs> yeah, no, abs- absolutely. Absolutely. So you can, to some degree, explain it. And I think in some way, it, it involves letting go of some of those dreams of how perfect things are going to be. I mean, I'm divorced and remarried, but in my first marriage, when my kids were young, I once made, and I, I think this was a crucial mistake, I once made a crucial mistake of pulling out my cookie cutters and cutting out of their sandwiches, their initials in little cookie cuttered shapes. So they had peanut butter and jelly J's and K's. And I I wrapped those up and I sent them to lunch. And then I had to hear from my ex-husband about why didn't I do that anymore for so many years to come. And I just thought I never should have done that to begin with. You know, that was ridiculous. Don't do that. But, but but no, don't do that. But I, I do think that we are spending more time with our children as working parents than we did in more traditional gender roles in the 1950s and 60s. We have uh, social media to shame us. Um, intensive parenting somehow means that we have to do everything together. Um, so we'll unpack that because there's so many societal things that were happening to me um, that were these invisible um, messages that I think if we did rule one of the book, right? That's a rule that says all time is created equal. So what do I mean by that? Well, the home is very dangerous, Jean, because look, we're talking about peanut butter J sandwiches. I'm talking about almost leaving my marriage over uh, off-season blueberries. Um, A man in White Plains, New York told me that, that he was divorcing over a glue stick. So the home presents really small and that's why it's dangerous. Um, But as a mediator, we like to say the presenting problem is never the real problem. So if you back up to the real problem, and this 
applies to women and their money too. So I think it's really important to understand this. This is a societal problem and it's a societal problem for how we view women's time. And we view women's time as uh, infinite, like sand, and we view and value and guard men's time as finite, like diamonds. So that sounds very esoteric, but let's just talk, unpack that. Well, in the workplace, um, we make really, really hard financial decisions because men are paid more than us. So women are typically the ones to be forced out or drop out of the workforce for childcare. And often it's because they say, well, I made less money than my partner. So that is uh, fundamentally because of the pay gap. It's also because of the bias against women that as we become mothers, we lose five to 10% of our wages for every child we bring into the world. So we know women's time is sand and men's time is diamonds because we're not paid the same for the same hour. If you're a woman of color, you're getting paid 50 cents on the dollar for every non-Hispanic white man. That's the statistic right now. But what I was so shocked by was how women devalue their time in the home. And it was women. That's why I chose to write to women because when I would ask women, why are you the one uh, picking up the phone call from the school? Why are you the one doing the blood test appointments every week? Even though, you know, your child has a bottle, your husband could take them. And these were hetero cisgender relationships, but a lot of these patterns due to societal norms affect same-sex relationships as well. Um, most women would say, well, I do it because I have a more flexible job or now I'm working part-time. So they had already lost some of their economic power because I was seeing that a lot of women were taking a step back from the workforce. But on top of that, now they're not having more free time. They're just taking on more of the invisible work of their home, which is hard work and, and leads to a lot less power. And that's how I was feeling in my home. So the, my husband makes more money than me argument um, is a really hard one because we have to really throw that out because that would also mean, Jean, that because I um, chose philanthropy and my husband chose private equity, that I would be relegated to the invisible work of my home for the rest of my life. So the time is money argument is a terrible argument for why we do more invisible unpaid labor. The next two arguments, one was, well, I'm a better multitasker. Multitasking is my superpower. My husband is better at focusing on one task at a time. For that one, I had to go to a top neuroscientist, uh, one of the top in the country, and we are not better multitaskers. But what he said to me, Jean, was, imagine, Eve, we men could convince you women that you're better at wiping asses and doing dishes. How great for my tenure. How great for my leisure time. How great for my golf game. And now you also believe you're better, so you want to do it. And finally, um, one that applies to money. In the time it takes me to tell him what to do, I should just do it myself. So for that one, I went to my friend, Dan Ariely, who's a top behavioral economist. And he said, that's a terrible argument for women. And the time it takes me to tell him what to do, I should do it myself. Because that's a classic devaluing of all your future time. Of course, you want someone to invite them to wipe the asses and do the dishes now so that you have more free time of your finite time in the future for things like making money, for things like your leisure time. And so what happens is that if you devalue your future time, then often you end up in these really difficult situations, like feeling like I can't take it anymore. 
more women end up being forced out of the workforce and into really, really different financial scenarios than they thought they were going to be in at the beginning of their marriage. So as we look toward solutions, right, that's that's a lot of, of really, really distressing information. It's a lot of information that resonates as 100% true with me, and I'm sure with our listeners as well. How do we change it? I mean, how in the midst of this pandemic, but hopefully lasting far beyond this pandemic, how do we get some of this stuff off our plates? How do we decide what doesn't have to be done at all? What do we do in order to create a life that actually works so that we don't have to pull out our hair and beat ourselves up and we can actually enjoy it a little bit? Well, there is a magic formula. And I, I, there's three steps to that magic formula. And really all of the rest of the rules of fair play can be wrapped into these three steps. And that is boundaries, systems, and communication. If you have all three of those things, you're likely to be in a place of empowerment as opposed to feeling like you're drowning. And so what do I mean by that? What, number one, boundaries. It means that we have to believe that we have a permission to be unavailable. We have to invest in our nutritious leisure time like we're investing in toilet paper, but it requires believing that we are allowed to be unavailable from our roles as a partner, a parent, and a professional. Tell me about your boundaries. My boundaries are very strong right now because I have systems in place to create those boundaries. So let's talk about how you can reverse engineer those boundaries. Because when I would say to women, okay, well, why did you stop skiing, you know, before the pandemic? Why is it that you were a champion skier and then you tell me you left your skis in the airport um, because you wanted to feed your baby and get them straight to the hotel? Why are you not believing you have permission to be interested in your own life? And um, a lot of those women said, I don't have a boundaries. I have guilt and shame around taking time for myself. And I don't know how to use my voice. So let's just reframe guilt around taking time. That's, that is how I started to create my boundary. And um, my good friend, Dr. Cheryl Gonzalez-Ziegler, she really helped me reframe guilt. And what I love, and I do this every single day, is anytime I feel guilty about something that I'm doing for myself, instead of saying, I feel guilty because... I say I made that decision because. So when I was going to leave for my book tour for five months, I was starting to feel guilty. And I said, I feel guilty because I'm leaving my kids. And instead, I reframed it to say I am making that decision to go on the road because I know I could help other women. And because I believe fundamentally so much that women should not hold all the invisible work of their home. And when you reframe guilt like that, not only do you feel better, but you are so much more confident in your decisions. And this works with your boss. This works with your partner. If you are leaving early to take your Bollywood hip hop class, like when I set my boundaries around four o'clock on Thursday, I say to my partners, I'm making the decision to leave work early on Thursdays because I'm investing in my mental and physical health. And you want that for me because that's going to make me a better um, worker, a better partner, a better parent. That's how you start to reframe guilt and start to set boundaries. It starts with you setting a firm line for yourself that you deserve a permission to be unavailable, that your time is not sand. Your time is diamonds. You only get 24 hours in a day and you get just as much time choice over how you use that time than your partner. 
that is a true boundary. That is not just a walk around the block. That takes internal work on yourself. Okay, so boundaries, systems. Systems means what? Systems means, people are afraid of the word systems. Systems mean, do you, can, can you imagine a life where you're not drowning in decision fatigue? Can you imagine a life where you actually know who's setting the table before you're hangry and you're cranky? Can you imagine a life where you know who's taking out the dog before it starts to take a piss on your rug? That's a system. Systems are just one thing and they're very amazing. And that's what fair play is. They are a way to get explicitly defined expectations so that everybody knows their role. That's what a good system does. So things feel fair and transparent because there's explicitly defined expectations. So what do I mean by that? Let's go very practical into mustard. How do you start a system? Well, you have to think about systematically, how do you treat your home as your most important organization? How do you get to a place where you're customizing your defaults so that you know what's happening in your home before you're setting the table? Well, it, it requires just really to understand this how did condiments get into your refrigerator? So let's just think about mustard. Mustard didn't fly into your refrigerator, right? It got there. And once I started to use my day job, my expertise of being um, an organizational management specialist and apply it to mustard, I realized, wow, this is actually the same as what I do for my clients. You break down mustard into steps, organizational project management steps. So step one is, uh, Jean, you have to know your second son, Johnny, likes yellow mustard with his protein, otherwise he chokes. That in project management parlance is what we call conception. And then you have to monitor that mustard for when it's running low, get stakeholder buy-in from your house about what else should go on the grocery list, along with refilling the mustard that's almost out. That's what we call planning. And then you actually have to get your butt to the store. Now it's more complicated because you have to wear gloves and a mask or whatever. You get to have to get your butt to the store to go purchase the yellow mustard. Now in my 500 plus interviews, hetero gender men overwhelmingly were stepping in just at the execution phase. And they're bringing home spicy Dijon every fucking time. And I asked for French's yellow. And are, are you blind? Are you, are you not? Don't you sit here for seven years? You haven't watched the way Johnny eats. You don't see that he's dipping his food in yellow mustard, right? And all of a sudden you heard how my tone is changing. And what I'm here to tell you, the secret I'm telling you is that we're not fighting about mustard. We're actually fighting about accountability and trust. So what happens when you keep the conception, planning, and execution together the same way we do at work. We don't walk into our boss's office and say, hey, what should I be doing today? I'll just wait here till you tell me what to do. But that's the dynamic in so many of our homes. All fair play is, is a system to get you into an ownership mindset so that when you're holding a task for your family, you're holding it with the full conception, planning, and execution. And why that's important is because the number one thing women told me they hated about home life was that they couldn't shut their minds off. That even when they were about to sleep, uh, things for the next day, they'd have a you know notes by their bed or a pad or they're ruminating on something that has to get done. Um, and the number one thing men told me they hated about home life was that they couldn't get anything right. That even when they go to the store for the mustard, they're bringing home the wrong thing and they feel shamed. 
How do you get out of that crazy pattern? You move to a system with an ownership mindset. And that is the key and the core of what Fair Play is about. Yep. It makes total sense. And I'm envisioning it in my mind because my husband has actually taken over the grocery shopping during COVID. He has picked it up. He has taken it over, but we have a system and the system involves, we discuss what are we eating for dinner this week? And that helps us just figure out what needs to go on the list. He goes to the store, he looks in the pantry, he figures out what we don't need and he gets it right. And I don't have to worry about it. And it works. I know it works because for a while we were only going to the store every two weeks, right? Because it it really works. Okay. And by the way, can I just talk about efficiency? That's efficient. If you both want time back for things that you love, that's efficient that you're only going, you're only going every two weeks and he was getting things right as opposed to having to go back to the store a hundred times because you brought home the spicy Dijon and I want a different type of mustard. That's the beauty of what you're doing. Mustard is a very, very big deal in our house. And it has been a <laughs> it has been a particularly big deal because we go to Costco and buy the big mustard and you get two of them at a I time. But Costco's been out of the big mustard just like they've been out of the paper towels. So mustard has been a stress point. So I love that you actually use that example. All right. Last thing as we as we sort of wrap this up, communication. How do you keep it clear and how do you keep it from getting that tone, from getting the anger? Well, I, I love um, that this is a Her Money podcast because what I like to say is invest in your communication so that you don't have to invest in a divorce later. You don't have to invest in a um, breakup of your assets later. Communication is everything. If you say, I could never get my partner to the table to have the conversation about ownership, then what I'm here to tell you is that you are already communicating. I talked to one woman who said, my husband and I could never have a conversation over mustard. It's too triggering. And then 20 minutes later, Jean, she tells me that every time her partner forgets to put laundry in the dryer, she dumps it on his pillow. I talked to another woman who said she hasn't communicated about domestic life. I found out she has an Instagram account called the shit my husband doesn't pick up. And she publicly- Oh, she's communicating. Yes. Yes. So we, we are already communicating. As a mediator, I can go into your Nest Cam. I'll see five ways you communicated today. I don't even need your audio on. When I was starting to talk to women about a communication shift as opposed to a start, I had so many more women say, okay, I'm ready for the shift. And it just is three simple steps that you can start today. Before you decide who does what, and you can enter a system and set a boundary, you start with communication. You treat your communication practice with more rigor and respect than your exercise and meditation practice. So what I mean by that, one, recognize you're already communicating. We all communicate. Number two, recognize you're probably communicating by giving feedback in the moment. You're either boiling over to you can't take it anymore or using bad timing to ask for that mustard or using a terrible tone like I do. My husband calls me nails on a chalkboard, but often it's because we're communicating our what in the moment. Why didn't you take out the garbage? Where's the kids on Zoom? It's a what type of communication in the moment. So how do you change a what type of communication in the moment? You move to a why type of communication, not in the moment. And so what I ask people to do is invest 10 minutes a day, set a timer, bring cookie dough or a glass of tequila, set a timer, check in with your partner every single day, 
If you're exercising during that time, then don't exercise for a week and try this instead. Spend 10 minutes on your communication practice. It is a life-changing thing. And when you're there, instead of saying things like you didn't put the pot in the right way in the dishwasher, you start with your why. Why you're feeling that way today. I am feeling really upset that there are a million dishes in the sink because I'm feeling like my time is not being valued. Or maybe the story I'm telling myself is that you're expecting me to handle everything and um, while you watch SportsCenter and get to work out. Um, That's the story I'm telling myself, right? You start with your why you're feeling a certain way as opposed to what needs to get done. So that's it. No feedback in the moment. Set a weekly check-in or a nightly check-in, which is what Seth and I are doing now. 10 minutes, start with your why. You can start that today. You are so brilliant. Amazing. Just exactly what we needed right now. Eve, everybody who is listening should get the book. Everybody should get the card deck so they can go through the exercises of, of playing with it. Where do we get more information about you? Go to fairplaylife.com. We have lots of free resources if you want to get started and starting to get more fairness in your home. Um, we offer lots of free resources there and uh, lots of videos for um, a lot of the typical hurdles people face when they're trying to uh, set a new rebalance for a new life. Uh, I feel better. Um, <laughs> thank you so much for doing this today. Thank you, Jean, for having me. Absolutely. And we'll be right back with Catherine and your mailbag. So can I just say thank you to Hermione's Catherine Tuggle, who's joined me for teeing up that interview. I know you found her and you were like, we have to get her. And I'm so happy. I just, that was so much fun. She's so good. I know. She's so good. And I just saw her book at The Strand, uh, one of my favorite bookstores here in New York. If I see something that is good for the show, sometimes I'll just take a quick picture of it. And I had just a picture of her book like on my phone for a few months. And then I thought I got to reach out. So very, very glad she was able to join us. Yeah, she's one of my new favorites. I think I have a crush. Totally agree. I've got to get that card deck when it comes out. Yeah, for sure. For sure. The Strand. I'm sorry about The Strand. There's, there's, I think there's now some sort of a, I don't know if it's a GoFundMe or some sort of movement afoot to save The Strand because it's in trouble because of the pandemic. Yeah. The founder put out um, a post that I saw across all their channels that said that their revenue is down by 70% and they're going to need some help to get through it. So yeah, I was just there this past weekend buying some books. So yeah, they need help. And you can order online too. Like for people who are listening who are not in New York, they have the most amazing little like makeup bags and greeting cards and candles. So, you know, it's it's a great place. Yeah. My niece who is, uh, she is 15. It's her favorite place in the city. I have two twin nieces. I think our, our listeners have heard me talk about them, but, but my niece Dylan reads plays like they're going out of style and she gets a lot of her plays at the Strand. Amazing. Yeah. All right. I know we've got a bunch of questions and that was a long interview, but I just couldn't end it. I, I will, let's dig in. Yeah, absolutely. Our first question comes to us from Nan. She writes, I have two investment retirement accounts. My former employer used Betterment with a management fee of 0.25%, and my current employer uses Principal with a management fee of 0.45%. 
I was thinking of rolling over my investments from principal to betterment so I can get the lower fee. Would you advise this or what are the other options to get a lower management fee? I know management fees can eat into your retirement, so I'm trying to find ways to lower those fees. Thank you. So I love the question, Nan, and I love the impulse um, because, yes, we should absolutely shop around for fees when it comes to our investments because every, every basis point that goes into the pocket of expenses and management is a, is a basis point that doesn't come to us and a, a basis point uh, is one one hundredth of one percent. So a management fee of 0.25% is 25 basis points. A management fee of 0.45% is 45 basis points. And, and you're absolutely right to be thinking about this. The unfortunate thing is, as long as you continue to work for your current employer, you don't have the option to do this. You can roll these funds into an IRA um, or into another employer's plan, but you have to separate from your job first in order to do it. And that could mean retiring, but it can also mean just switching jobs, quitting, whatever. You just can't be working for them and make it happen. But I I would say if this is something that you're thinking about, this is the kind of thing that we talk to our benefits department about. And we say, hey, why are these fees higher than they were at my last job? Is there anything that you can do about that? Is there a way to bring them down and start a conversation? I think if we don't ask, we don't get. So look at look at what your options are. I love that. And I love the idea of starting a conversation too, because sometimes the people in HR can can bring those fees down. Yeah. Yeah. They can bring them down. They can make changes. By the way, they want to know what you're thinking about. They want to know what they can do to keep their employees happy and keep their employees engaged, especially engaged in financial wellness, which is such an important topic right now. They know that there are tons of people who are under stress about their finances. And so if there are things about your finances that are stressing you out where your benefits department could help you, you tell them, you talk to them, you ask questions. That is what they're there for. Absolutely. Our last question comes to us from Jennifer, who is 50 and lives in Akron, Ohio. She writes, I am the mom of a high school junior who will be attending college in the fall of 2022. We've been saving for college in a 529 account where we have invested in aggressive age-based funds that now read blended moderate growth. With the pending election and the impact those results could have on the market, are there any changes we should make now to her asset allocation to preserve the current balance? I also have a high school sophomore. Is there anything different we should consider for her fund? I enjoy your podcast and look forward to your thoughts. Thank you. The question that I have, Jennifer, and by the way, this is a really good question. So you're in an age-based portfolio in a 529 college savings account. And the way these work are kind of like a target date retirement fund. As your child gets closer and closer to college and needing to use the money, the amount of risk that is being taken in the portfolio tapers off. But in addition to there being age-based portfolios, there may be aggressive age-based portfolios, moderate ones, and conservative ones. And it sounds like you are on the aggressive track because you have not made any changes. If you're worried, 
then you may want to go to the moderate track or the conservative track. But before you do that, I'd actually pick up the phone and I would talk to the company that is managing this 529 because they're all different and ask them, what does it mean in their book to be aggressive? How are these funds invested at this point? And see if that's something that you're comfortable with. For your sophomore, you've got an additional year of time in which to make up any dips in the market before you need the money for college. So you may very well feel more comfortable with a more aggressive stance for that child than you do for this child. But I would I would first and foremost just ask the question, how are these funds invested? And if it's making you nervous, dial it back for a little while. You are very, very close to being there. And if you, after we go through the election cycle, change your mind on that, you can go back into the aggressive aged-based portfolio. You still won't be invested as aggressively as you would have when your child was in elementary school or in middle school, but they're shades of being aggressive and shades of taking risk. I I hope that that makes sense. And good luck. uh, Good for you for getting a handle on this and for thinking about this as, as we head into the election. I know it's a scary time. I know that you know that I'm not a believer in timing the market, but I am a believer in rebalancing and making sure that you are taking the appropriate amount of risk for you. Yeah, absolutely. It's so good that she's getting out ahead of this and and looking at it while her kids are still got a little distance from needing the, those funds. Absolutely. And and the markets are incredibly volatile right now. I mean, we're, you know, hundreds and hundreds of points in swings. And what happens after the election, I I don't know. I really I really don't know. And so you are going to want to make sure that you've got some time between this big event in our country's history and your goals. Absolutely. Thanks, Jean. Thanks, Catherine. In today's Thrive, let's control your financial clutter. Whether we're talking about credit card receipts, bank statements, investment account updates, insurance forms, tax returns, Life produces a never-ending stream of personal finance-related detritus. What's the trick to organizing your finances and beating back the growing piles of paperwork? The trick is to just start, by the way, and we have a comprehensive rundown at hermoney.com. But the first step is to drag the piles to a single place. Like organizational guru Marie Kondo recommends, Start your journey by dumping out everything in one place so you can have a good cry over the mess. This becomes your sorting room. And then don't worry, the mountain that you're facing is about to be tamed. Second, create your categories. Now it's time to make some fresh new piles. Your job here is to simply put like items with like. So you may want a category for banking, for credit card, for bills, for retirement. You get the idea. Third, Set aside special documents like your living will, your marriage license, your social security card, your medical directives, essentially all your estate-related paperwork 
the paperwork that you may need in case of an emergency. You don't want to be fumbling around to find a loved one's power of attorney while you're dealing with a stressful situation. And finally, play the keep or toss game. This is the fun part. If you've got a shredder, it's time to file it up. Also acceptable, any form of fire, like a grill or a fireplace that you can use to safely destroy discarded documents. If you're not sure what to keep and what to burn or toss, the IRS has specific recommendations on documents that you could keep from anywhere to two to seven years, and we've got a complete financial rundown of these records again at hermoney.com. Thank you so much for joining me today on Her Money. Thanks to Eve Rodsky for the insight on what women are really feeling these days and how we can all level the playing field, especially in our own homes. I know many of you have been asking for an episode just like this, and I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our show at Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review. We love hearing what you think. We also want to thank our sponsor, Fidelity. We record this podcast out of CDM Sound Studios. Our music is provided by Video Helper, and our show comes to you through Megaphone. Thank you so much for joining us, and we'll talk soon.